We are in our sixth week of our series on church works. And we've been talking about these words that we use that maybe kind of get overused sometimes and we kind of lose the significance of their meaning. And like we started off with the most common word in the Bible, the word Yahweh, right? We talked about how silly it is sometimes when like little ones are like, that's a different God. Like maybe we should say God's name a little bit more when our little ones don't recognize it. We, we went on to some other words like gospel, words like prayer, uh, words like propitiation, which we probably don't use very much at all anymore. Uh, but it's a really good word to remind us of what God has done for us. And so now this week, we're going to talk about the word sanctification. And it's a word that if you've been around church for very long, you've probably heard this word. But the problem with this word is something inside of us makes us tend to forget what's really going on in sanctification. It's like the more we want to grow in our likeness of Christ, the more we think that it's up to us. And so today, we're going to do a short time talking about the definition of what sanctification is. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about how that impacts us from the, the moment you have accepted and believed and surrendered your life to Jesus through eternity. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you would, open up your Bible to Leviticus chapter 20. Right? I know um, Leviticus is not our favorite uh, go-to book of the Bible unless you're trying to get unruly kids to sleep. Um, but it is a good book to give us context to a lot of the other words and other things that go on in the rest of the Bible. And so if you would turn to Leviticus chapter 20, uh, there's a great heading to start off that if, if it's in your Bible as well. Um, but, but the idea is, is Israel has been taken out of slavery in Egypt and they've taken through, the, through uh, Sinai, they crossed the, the Red Sea, the, destroyed the Egyptian army, God's fed them on the way, right? He's brought them to the mountain where he's delivering all these rules. And, and sometimes we get confused as to why God gave them this many rules, right? And this may be a simple oversimplification of the reason, but listen, as they're heading into Israel, there are people that live there already. And those people have some weird practices, Right? They, they do things like child sacrifice. They do things like prostitution in temple settings. They worship other gods. They do things that stand at odds to the way God believes things should be done. And so God wants to gather them together and say, hey, listen, this is how you are going to be different when you get into the promised land. And so in verse, or chapter 20, verse 8, it says this, keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. It says, I am the Lord that sanctifies you. Notice, it doesn't say that if you keep my statutes, then I will sanctify you. It says, because I've given these statutes to you, you are sanctified. And so the idea of sanctified is this idea that God is going to set them apart from the people that exist there in Israel that God is going to set them apart in practice, in purpose, in worship, in, in the way that they just live in everyday life. And they're not gonna participate in these false ideas because they are different than the people that, ought to, that already live there. And so God takes them, he takes a nation, and he takes them just regular people who are sinful and have brokenness, and he turns them and makes them to a holy nation. And that's kind of the same idea that we get throughout the rest of, of the Bible. Like, like think about the day of atonement we talked about a few weeks ago, that God takes a sheep or a lamb and this lamb has a lot of upside to it, right? It can give you wool, it can give you milk, it can even feed you, right, little lamb chops. But instead of using it for your own purposes, you know what it does, what God asks? 
He says, set it apart. Set it apart for sacrifice. See, God takes things that are everyday and regular and can produce in the world's standards, and he sets them apart for his purposes. And that's the same idea that's transferred into the New Testament. The word in the New Testament uh, that we get uh, sanctify or sanctification is the word hagiazo. And the root of hagiazo is just the word hagias. And hagias means holy, right? It says you are holy, right? So the process of being more holy is hagiazo. It's sanctified, right? And so the question is, is what makes us holy? Right? What makes us holy? You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about this word propitiation, that God didn't leave us in our sin and leave us in his wrath that was being poured out, but he actually sent Jesus to come pay the price for us, right? He satisfied the wrath of God so that you and I can be considered righteous and holy before God. And so we believe that that's true. And so when God sees us now as followers of Jesus, he doesn't see all the brokenness that exists inside of us. It says that he sees the sacrificed bloodshed of Jesus Christ that's in our place. So does that mean we're just good? Like we can just stop there. Like we're, we're, we're good, right? We know that's not true, right? We come out of that water and there's still sin inside of us. There's still a desire to do wrong, Man, I wish when my little boys got dunked, it was like, all right, we're done. Like, God's done the work, move on. But we know that's not true. We still sin all the time. We still find idols that are deep inside of our hearts that draw us away from God's desires and his will. And so how do we go along this process? And that's where sanctification comes into play. You know, I was reading this week, I was reading this week, this uh, guy named, or sorry, it was last week, uh, this guy named Paul Tripp. And we've talked about him before, and he has this book on doctrines, and um, he's, he, he has a really good definition, and I felt like I couldn't do any better, so we're going to use his, all right? I know that's stealing, but I at least know who it is, all right? And Paul Tripp says this about sanctification. It says, sanctification is the process by which God actually makes us what he has declared us to be in Christ, righteous, you hear that? So, so sanctification is the process by which God actually makes us what he has declared us to be in Christ, righteous. So he has declared us righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. And then sanctification is the process where he is working to make us more and more and more and more like Christ. Now that doesn't mean that if we sin, we lose our holiness, right? It doesn't mean that if we don't follow God the the way that God calls us to, and we do something wrong that all of a sudden we're like back at square one and we got to get back in the water. But what it means is God recognizes that even when we accept and believe and surrender our lives to him, there are still pockets of sin and idols and doubts that need to be dealt with. And God says, I will sanctify you. You see, if sanctification was up to us, it never happened. We, we never get there, right? Because it needs to be a work of God. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter one, verse six. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That the work that began in us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will continue until the day, one day when we get to spend eternity with God. And he's gonna work in us to make us more like Christ as we go through there. And that's, that's good news. We, we talked about this, that right now we exist in the now, 
but we look forward to a not yet where all the sin and all the idols and all the suffering and oppression will be put aside. And we will be holy without sin, without failures. You know, I was thinking about this this week, that God is doing this work in us. And, and the thought that came to mind was, um, I was reading something a while back about artists. And the thing that separates expert artists from regular artists is not necessarily technique. It's not necessarily like creativity. It's knowing when to stop. It's knowing when something is complete and finished and right and perfect. It's knowing that I've tried this 35 times and it's getting better and better and this is it. And if I do more, it'll get messed up altogether. You know, when you think about sanctification, you and I are part of God's artistry. When you look back at Genesis and the way that he created the world, at the end of the day, he didn't say, ah, it's good for now. He says it's good. It's done. The creation is the way it should be. And so the work of sanctification needs to be done by God because he's the expert artist. You and I are not. I've been places in my life where I'm like, man, I've arrived. And then like my wife reminds me I haven't, you know, or my kids do that as well now. Thankfully, we understand there is an expert artist who is offering us the sanctification that we need. And so we have to just pause for a moment and realize while there is a journey that we are embarking upon as followers of Jesus, we have to trust that there is a God who knows exactly what we need and is doing the work in and for us. But then you ask the question, well, if sanctification is all the work of God, then what's our place in it? Like what's our work? Well, what it's going to do is it's going to require some things out of us. You see, first of all, sanctification takes humility and patience. It takes humility and patience. Starting with the beginning of the conversation, right? You understand and believe you need salvation. That takes humility. I cannot do this on my own. I need help. And when you accept what Jesus has done for you and you recognize the sin you have inside of you, you need help. And so you begin to ask for help. And that takes humility recognizing that until we have our last breath, God is doing a work in us, right? our, our mission as a church our, our, is a growing community becoming like Jesus. Growing doesn't stop, right? Growing continues until our very last breath. And sanctification is part of that process. In, in Romans, uh, Paul talks about this. Like, you think about Paul, like, I wish we all could get to the level of spirituality and sanctification that Paul got to, this is what Paul says in Romans, all right? And it's a little bit schizophrenic, so just follow there, right? He says in Romans uh, 7, 17, he says this. So now it is, uh, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but the, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I, but sin who dwells within me. Paul's just saying like, man, there's times where I want to do something good, but my first reaction is not good, right? You ever had those moments where someone says something to you and before you can like pull them back, you vomited out words of anger or words of you know, frustration to them. Right? Oftentimes our first response is not loving to people especially when we feel attacked. How many times have we done something and been like, ooh, that was a terrible decision? 
there's still something inside of us that needs sanctification. The process doesn't end. And so God says, I will do that work in you, but it requires God doing the work. It requires you understanding I need it, that I need work to be done. Or to be done. It also requires patience. You know, a couple of years ago, I was having this conversation with a mentor friend of mine, and we were talking about something uh, scripturally that I just was like struggling with. And finally, after talking through it for like a couple of weeks, it kind of, I kind of realized what was going on. And I, I had a good understanding, like an epiphany, I guess, of what was happening. And I said, man, I really wish I learned this back when I was 25. Have you ever had those moments? Man, I wish I, I wish I knew that when I was younger. And he said, well, aren't you just glad you're not 99 when you learned it? Well, yeah, that's true. At least I learned it, right? You see, if we are allowing God to do the work within us, we have to be patient and let God do the work within us. We don't expect to be a seasoned follower of Jesus at the beginning. It takes time, it takes work, it takes practice, but it takes the work of God in our lives. 1 Thessalonians, it says, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And you may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna step into humility and patience when we're talking about sanctification, we have to recognize the sin inside of us and we have to put that sin to death. I know I kind of did those out of order there, but I just wanted to remind you, like there, there is sin inside of us and we'll continue until the last day we're on this earth. And it's up to us to do the work of saying, I want to put that sin to rest. Now we trust there's a Holy Spirit inside of us. We trust that God's doing the work, but we also have a part to play by putting that sin to death. We have to fight our thoughts, to keep our thoughts, our actions, and our words, not on our own desires and wants and needs, but on what Christ and what he desires and wants from us. We have to recognize the things inside of our hearts, our idols that are drawing us away from a radical submission to God we have to let God do the work of rooting them out inside of us. And we have to see sin as a big deal. We have to run from it. We have to see sin in ourselves as a big deal and run from it, right? It's easy to see sin in others. It's harder to see sin in ourselves. And I promise that God is doing the work of sanctification in others. You probably should pay attention to yourself a little bit. You see, sanctification is part of the process, but we have to remain spiritually hungry as we do it. As God is doing that work within our hearts and within our, our idols that we have deep inside of us, right, we have to, as followers of Jesus, remain spiritually hungry. No matter what age you are, you have to be a person who says, I want to long for closeness with God. I, I, I remember... When I was in college, I read about this guy. Um, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Augustine or one, one, of these, one of these old dead guys, right? But he said, if I don't get six hours of day, a day of prayer and study of God's word, my day is lost. I'm like, six hours a day? Like, that would be crazy if I hungered and thirst for God so much that I rearranged my schedule so I could get six hours of chasing after him. 
right? That, that would be nuts, right? Like, even the thought of that. But, but what if we developed this hunger and thirst for God in a way where we woke up in the morning, our first thought was, man, how do I get connected to my creator? The last thing in our heads at night when we fall asleep is how do I grow deeper in relationship with him? And what if, what if I hungered and thirst for God like I hunger and thirst for Dr. Pepper and barbecue? What, what if a church committed to hungering and thirsting after God? What would that do to your family? What would that do to your friendships? What would that do to your parenting? What would that do to your community? When you read the news and you're hungering and thirsting after God, you see violence and oppression and it should break your heart. When you see sin in this world and people chasing after the wrong things, man, hunger and thirsting, thirsting after God means we see God in the way that God sees the world. Man, what if we became a church that hungered and thirsted for God in this way and we remain hungry? And we, ways that we can do this is we institute spiritual disciplines in our lives. Last week we talked about prayer and how the discipline of prayer can actually not just allow us to be connected with God, but develop within us a desire to be even more connected with God. Right. What about silence and solitude? This is a great practice, especially if you have trouble focusing on things, to commit time to sitting in silence by yourself and focusing your attention on God. Listen, the first few times is terrible. It's not fun because our minds are not trained to sit in silence and solitude and point to God. We are distracted constantly. But that practice points us to God. Maybe Sabbath is the discipline that will help connect you with God where you can stop trying to be productive with all the time that you have in your life or the little time you have in your life and say, God, the only thing that I care about is being connected with you. And I don't have anything to offer you on a Sabbath. I don't have anything to produce for you on a Sabbath. I'm just going to sit and let you speak to me. Maybe worship or confession or celebration, maybe prayer and Bible reading. Like there's so many of these things that we put into practice because those things are the ways to which God does the work in us that needs to be done. And we can run from God and we can just go through our day and never put our attention on him. And God's saying, listen, I wanna make you into who I've created you to be. Why won't you want it? And so we need to desire being connected with God as part of our everyday living. Third, we have to participate in the church and the mission of God. Now I know I'm a pastor up here and I'm like, go to church. <laughs> but I'm not saying that because I want you to come hear me speak. I'm saying that because participation in the church is one of the most significant ways you can get connected with other believers who are on the same path that you're on. It's the most significant way that you can grow in your faith when you're meeting with other people who have gone through or are going through the same things you're going through spiritually. And they can speak truth into your life. This is exactly why over the season of next year going forward, we're gonna focus not on programmatic discipleship, not teaching you more things about God in your brain only, but to connect you with people in our church who are gonna help you along that path in a relational setting who are gonna sit down over dinner with you or coffee with you and ask you, how is your hunger and thirst for God? And how is that impacting your marriage and your work and your life? 
You see, when we see participation in the church and the mission of God, that means showing up one or two days a week and singing words on a screen or listening to a message is only part of the sanctification process. We want to be a church that is deeper. And we believe that a deeper discipleship is going to be a way that we can do that. But that's a sermon for next week. I can't go too far on there. So what happens if we commit to this? What happens if we decide, you know what, I want to be sanctified by God. I want, to, I want to engage in the church. I want to put sin to rest. I want to hunger and thirst for God. What happens in that process? Right. Well, well, here's what happens. First, it illuminates through the power of the Holy Spirit. It illuminates us to know our sin deeper. Right? We don't know the depths of our sin. Right? I, I feel like I've been existing in this place over the past year of you don't know what you don't know. You ever been there before? That's the way our lives are, right? You don't know what you don't know. That's why it's great that we are surrounded by people who have done life before us. That's why we believe in a generational church because there are people that have done some of the things that I've yet to do and they can say, hey, um, that's a terrible decision. Or hey, it's a great decision, but you need to slow down. You see, I believe that that's what the purpose of the church is. And so we have to allow the church to do that work within us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the process of sanctification. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1 and 2. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles, right? Those who are followers of Jesus, who are exiled in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Pause there real quick. He's saying all of you, because of persecution, have been sent to the corners of the earth, right? He says this. For the, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Part of the blessing that Peter is giving to the people that are receiving his book is that they would be sanctified. That they would continue the process of the work that God is doing in them. And when we recognize that, we understand that that gives purpose to everything that we experience in our lives. Everything that we go through in our lives is a product, or not a product, but can be used for sanctification. Here's how this plays out. In Ephesians, uh, Paul gives us some pretty interesting statements about how a husband and a wife should behave. Right? And I'm not going to get into that whole, that's, once again, a whole other sermon. But here's what he says to, to the men, to the husbands in, this, the, in Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look at that up there. It says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That he, not the husband, that Jesus might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You see, God sees the marriage, the marriage as one of the ways sanctification happens in our lives. And men, we are called not to just overpoweringly lead our wives, but to point them through leadership to Christ. It says, lay down your life as Christ lays down his life for you. You see, God calls husbands to see their marriage 
as an opportunity to be sanctified and to help their wives be sanctified. You see, God redefines the purpose of many relationships by telling us that we have an opportunity to grow in our understanding of who God is and how to live it out in our marriages. That means our parenting is also an opportunity to be sanctified and to help in the sanctification process. It means our relationships with our friends and coworkers and neighbors, it's the way we see our work, the way we see our play, all of these things are part of the process of God doing the work of sanctifying us. But it requires us to step into it. But the last way it gives us purpose is through suffering. And over the last 20 years, we've had a season of pastors and churches that have communicated this message that if you're not being happy, wealthy, and healthy, then there's something wrong with what God is doing with you. That, that if your health isn't good, it's probably because you don't have enough faith or if you're having financial troubles, probably because you don't love God enough. And so we have these questions like, why would a God allow suffering? Why would God allow these bad things to happen? Why would God allow this happen, to happen in my marriage? Why would God allow this to happen to my kids? And there's a really long existential answer to that question. But the simple answer is because God is making us into the people he has destined and desired us to be. That is righteous in the sake of Christ. And so our relationships and our marriages and our, with all of these things are a process which God can help sanctify us, but so is suffering. And suffering reminds us that there's a God who cares for us. And we're hurting, whether it's physical suffering or it's relational suffering, whether it's emotional suffering, that we have a God who's gonna walk through it with us. And we believe when we get on the other side of it, we're gonna be better for it. I've never, I've never had a conversation with someone that was like, man, I've had the easiest two years of my life and I grew so much out of it. <laughs> no one says that. I know people that said, man, it's been a rough season, but God has been close. And I have a level of connection with him and a hunger and thirst for him that I never had before that. See, God uses the experiences of this world to help us become the people he wants us to be. We have to be humble. We have to be patient. We have to see every avenue and area of our life as an opportunity for God to do a work in us. And we have to just go for it. When I was 18 years old, right? This is where a stupid decision, I get it, right? 18 years old, I had a friend that was like, listen, for my 18th birthday, uh, I want to go bungee jumping. And when I was a kid, I was kind of afraid of uh, roller coasters, uh, but I kind of grew out of it. I still, I, I like them. Uh, I'm not afraid of heights really that much. Uh, but so I decided, yeah, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go with you to do this. We're, we're gonna do this. And so we went down to South Padre Island. They had a big bungee jump thing. And I got up there. Uh, they tied my legs in, you know, with the little bungee cords and stuff. And I was like, this feels pretty good, you know? And they get in the elevator and go to the top. Right? And I'm standing at the top and I get to the edge, right? And I look out and man, I mean, this is Sunset, South Padre Island. Like, there's condos on the beach. There's people running around there. Like, it was beautiful. And I'm thinking, I'm about to just fall. I don't have to, like, jump. I don't have to, like, do any weird cartwheels to get out of there. Like, literally, I just fall. And so they said, listen, here's how it's going to work. You get to the edge there. We're going to count to three. If we hit four, we're going to hit the down button and... You paid your money, it's over. You don't get to jump. So I had a choice to make. I could jump 
at three, or I could chicken out and my friend would laugh at me and I'd never live it down. So I got up there and I looked down and I, I trusted. Maybe stupidly, I don't know. The bungee cord and what was wrapped around my feet. And he, they said one, they said two, and I just fell. And I let gravity and those bungee cables do its work. And it was one of the most exciting experiences I've ever had in my entire life. You know, it's not easy being sanctified. It's not always easy not knowing the things that God's going to do to get you to the place that he wants you to be. But I promise you, if you commit to it and you say yes, you will have an exciting story to tell at the end of it. You will get to reframe all of the experiences you have in your life around this moment where you said, you know what, God said, I'm gonna count to three and you just jumped. Sanctification is a process, but I promise you, there is no one at the end of it that's come out and said, ah, it wasn't worth it. It's always worth it. So let God do the work that he has destined you, that destined for you, that he has put before you, that he has prepared for you, that he sees you as he wants you to be. And just go. Would you pray with me? God, we know it's not always easy. That when we experience suffering, when we experience brokenness in our, in our lives, in our marriages, in our health, and in all of these areas, God, we tend to forget that you are still using those things to make us into the person that you desire us to be. That you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a way of reminding us of who we are in Christ. And so God, I pray that this morning, if there's anything that is holding us back, whether it's fear, whether it's pride, whether, whether it's not understanding the joy of what it means to be someone who is made into the likeness of Christ, God, I pray that you would speak into those, speak into those hindrances. And that through your word and through your church and through the, the reframing of our lives, God, we would see a movement happen as people who are sold out to the work that God is doing in and through them. God, I pray that we would be a church full of people who are committed to the process of sanctification and that we would take your gospel and the joy of being close to our creator to every person that we come in contact with. We just pray these things knowing that you are the God who does the work in us. In your name we pray, amen.